Thank you for listening to the BJJ Brick Podcast. We'll be bringing you Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and good times. We hope to flatten your Jiu-Jitsu learning curve, help you get the most out of your grappling ability, and meet your goals both on and off the mat. Welcome back, my friends, to episode 118 of the BJJ Break Podcast. My name is Byron. I'm here with my good buddy, Gary. Gary, what's happening? You know, what is happening, Byron? Um, the crazy thing is both Byron and I have sore backs today. Um, both of us <laughs> got a little wrenched uh, training. Mine was from uh, trying to unhook the hands to finish an arm bar, and Byron got stacked in a triangle. So we're both... Uh, both a little sore today. A little bit sore. We're doing all right. We're getting it around, and I think uh, one of the big keys for back injuries is to keep moving a little bit. Back, um, you know, soreness, I think. Maybe not injuries. I'm, I'm no doctor Yeah, here. yeah. We're, we're moving, and, and I was telling somebody that yesterday. They're, they're asking me what I'm doing. I was like, I'm going to the Y. I'm keeping uh, busy. I'm drilling anything to uh, uh, keep blood flowing. Yeah. But this, we've got a uh, great episode today. It's... Uh, it's going to be a little controversial, and that's okay. Um, it's it's taboo topics with Tim Sled. Um, Tim Sled is uh, he spent a lot of time being a lawyer. He's he's had a lot of cases, and uh, now he's full time jujitsu guy, and he gets to bring over that knowledge and um, uh, experience base and, and talk about some of these topics that a lot of people don't even want to talk about. So we'll be talking about belt washing and and that belt whipping and. Uh, hazing and changing schools and dating within the gym, all these things. Yeah, the ever-popular dating within your gym. But uh, this episode, I mean, there's so much to this episode that uh, we we got two parts, uh, one this week, one next week. So episode 118 and 119 are both going to deal with uh, taboos. Yep, and and, uh, we don't typically bring on guests to argue with them. If if Tim said something that was like way offline with what I believe, I would have butted in. But uh, these are Tim's mostly Tim Sled's opinions. But uh, they're to the point where we don't feel the need to say, "Okay, um, this isn't the way I feel." You know. So I I think I uh, I, I would agree mostly with t- what Tim is saying here to where it's uh, and plus like Tim can beat us both up. That's true. So we really don't want to argue <laughs> with the guy. So we'll keep him on our good side. Yeah, just yeah, for we our own safety. Our <laughs> uh, no, but it's the good thing about these things is some people are going to think on one way, some people are going to think on another way. It's uh, you know just bringing up healthy discussions. You're you're not going to agree with all of them, and and um, uh, crazy thing is, I think me and Tim are probably on the same boat on most of them. Um, but uh, th- that's the cool thing is that's the great thing about the United States. We can all have our own beliefs, and uh, some some you're going to be 100% on some you're going to say no I think the other way but uh, it's just bringing up a good healthy discussion yeah anywhere in the world you could you could if you're having jujitsu gym there's going to be certain cultural things that goes on there and uh, we kind of address these today um, you, you may be at a school where they whip students that get promoted with their belts and you might really enjoy that part of your uh, part of your class or uh, that time of year where, where they get belt promotions that's okay if you I mean if, if that's how you feel about it that's your. That's where you train. That's your school. If you out of school and you don't like it, well, Tim has some advice for you, and uh, and just kind of help you out with that as well. So, it's uh, there's no reason that anything that we say should demotivate you from training at your school. We want you to train more. That's the key. Yep. Train more and have fun. 
Gary, if somebody would like to stay in touch with us and, and get a weekly reminder of the podcast, because we put one out every week, they can get on our email list, go to the website, go to the Facebook page, you type in your email address, and uh, every Tuesday we'll send you an email with the uh, upload updated uh, show notes ready to go and uh, a link to the actual MP3 file so you could uh, download it and listen. Yep. That way you'll never miss a show. Uh, uh, every every week we have a show. But also if you want more than a show every week, uh, first of all, you can check out our all our past two episodes. Um, you can check those out. But um, you can also get uh, the audio book, uh, your first year in BJJ. It's uh, two and a half hours of just like this podcast with a bunch of different chapters of topics you're going to run into your first year. Um, Byron discusses how to make the most out of uh, jujitsu in your first year. Uh, it's only $11.99. We have a link to it on the show notes, and uh, it's getting a lot of great reviews. So definitely check it out, and all the money goes to uh, directly to put the show on. Uh, the show's not free. A little bit of money uh, we have to put in out of our pockets, and uh, this money just keeps it, keeps us rolling. Yep, it helps. And we're not selling thousands of books a day here. I mean, we're, we're, we get a couple of book sales a week. So any, any time that we actually sell a book, uh, it does, it goes noticed. Yeah. High five each other. <laughs> it does go noticed and we greatly appreciate it. Um, and it, and it, every sale does count. So, um, I, f- I feel like we're doing like an NPR pledge thing, but. You know, I think we should get on our, to our quote of the week this week here. And, uh, we have a quote from, uh, Gandhi. And I assume most people are going to know who Gandhi is. Um, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> he, I mean, he's definitely not a jujitsu practitioner, but, um, he did Gandhi wear a gi. He did wear a gi. I yeah, don't know that. <laughs> with a belt, probably. Um, but Gandhi said, you must be the change you wish to see in the world. And, uh, for somebody who did a lot of change and for the better in this world, uh, uh, Gandhi, in my opinion, He's an expert in this area. So uh, once again, you must be the change you wish to see in the world. And basically he's saying, well, at least what I think he's saying is, if you really want to change something in this world, you need to act that way. Uh, You have to be what you want to happen. Um, You can't say one thing and and act the other ways. Uh, Basically, what you want to happen in this world, you need to do it. And people follow suit, basically. Yeah. An easy example of this will be something we're talking about today. All the topics we're talking about today, uh, this could kind of uh, pop into to the room and, and be relevant. But if you are at a school and they're going to do a belt whipping, you know, everybody got new belts today and, and we're going to whip them and leave welts on their body, and you're okay with that, then do it. But if, if you have that thought in the back of your head, I don't want to do this. That's the time, you know, to be the change you want to see in the world. I'm going to – actually, uh, I'm going to sit out this one or or you just kind of disappear into the restroom for uh, while it's going on. But but don't participate in something that you don't believe in or you believe against. That's That, that to me is kind of the – where this is relevant to the whole show topic. Yeah, and that that's the thing. A lot of times people may make fun of you. People may put pressure on you to – to do what they consider the norm. But if, if that's not something you believe in, no reason to participate in it. Um, stick up for your own values. You know, walk the walk. Um, there, I guarantee there's other people who feel that way and, and people will follow your suit. Yep. And that's just, that's a, 
like a step of a of a leader, and that person might be a, a white belt or a blue belt, but uh, to abstain from something you don't believe in, and, uh, and and you might influence other people as well to to take a stance for themselves. Yep. And I mean, how what bigger accomplishment or award you know can you have when you stand up for something you believe in and people start following you? And uh, that's Gandhi to a T, right there. Yeah, and this uh, so keep that in mind as we go through the interview today. Um, that, uh, that if you want to see something change about the way things are going in your jiu-jitsu, be that change. Good to, you know, tomorrow, tonight, whenever you go train next, is a good day to start that. Um, Actually, Byron, I think that could be our quote next week. Quote from Byron to <laughs> Be that change. Be that change. Uh, I, I'm altering Gandhi's quote and uh, getting it on my own. Uh, quote. Never know. Someday you could be as famous. <laughs> I, I know that I will not be. <laughs> yep. You need to think large, my friend. Okay, I'm thinking. I'm thinking large, and uh, I'm feeling like I'm gained a few pounds over lunch anyway. So, uh, Indian buffet is not sitting that well in me today. Ooh, Indian buffet. Yeah, I overdid it. Anyway, Gary, uh, this time we have a great article from our friend Daniel Coyle, uh, thetalentcode.com. This was the blog post a little while back. It says, and don't freak out, everybody. Stop doing drills. Start using challenges. And uh, if you don't know who Daniel Cole is, he's not a jiu-jitsu person. He's a he's an author. He he's an author who goes around and, and studies various coaches that have top-level athletes and performers, and sees what they're doing differently. So he just studies uh, people who perform well, basically, and, and figure out what, what they're doing differently than the rest of the people. And he's recommending. Well, you know, the, yeah, the cool thing is, you said he's not a jiu-jitsu guy. But he now knows about a little bit about jiu-jitsu because we actually had him on a show. And uh, he really didn't know what jiu-jitsu was. But uh, for what we were talking about, we really didn't need to. But we have exposed him to jiu-jitsu. So we did our job. <laughs> and he's like the one guy we've had on the show that we could actually probably choke. Yeah, <laughs> actually, yeah, you're right. Probably one person. <laughs> so uh, so this sounds a little bit controversial. You know, we, we always want to drill a bunch and, and, and get the – the gains from that but he's talking about like if you wanted to drill um like in basketball you might think about just shooting a bunch of free throws all the time and what happens is it gets boring your mind kind of leaves the game and 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 you just you're just kind of just shooting free throws and you may not you may shoot you know 30 40 100 i don't know how many would be a lot but uh, it's it's not engaging in your mind at all it's not it's not pushing you it's not stressing you at all to where you're getting other benefits from that and he actually brought up a, a actual a basketball drill where you would um, shoot from various spots on the on, on the rink there uh, on the court on the court okay and um, and you compete with your teammates and so it's 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 fun you know there's the that element of of uh, a little bit of rivalry within your team and some competition there some and uh and there's a little bit of a uh, little bit of stress like you want to perform better you don't want to miss the shot because it's important and uh and it helps people shoot better so that i'm thinking relating this to bat to re- relating like this not drilling but doing challenges to jiu-jitsu gary can you think of any like challenge that you might do that would be different than just doing like armbar drills or you know shooting takedown drills or something like that well you know you could uh you know put a little bit more into the challenge um you know the choke or escape challenge uh i guess you could say uh, 
I don't know, I'm just making something up, but let's say I go for a triangle choke on said opponent Byron, and uh, Byron is going to try to escape, or I'm going to try to uh, put him to sleep, not necessarily, but he's going to tap out, but instead of me just throwing up, you know, triangle after triangle after triangle, and Byron just standing there, um, we're going to put a little bit more into it, and... um, turn it into a challenge and have the challenge of me trying to finish Byron and the challenge for Byron trying to escape. Yeah, that's a perfect example. It's it's like a game, you know. It's it's a lot different than Gary just working his drawing some triangles. I have the element of trying to escape. Gary has the element of dealing with resistance, which is a big deal in jiu-jitsu. We all know that. And uh, that's a great example, Gary. Another one would be, um, you know, if I kind of work my shot, you know, like I'm, I'm going to take that penetrating step to, to do a double leg and, and Gary's just standing there, you know. But if Gary adds in the sprawl and he doesn't let me take him down every time and I have to fight for that, you know, maybe I get 10 shots on Gary and Gary gets 10 on me and uh, and, and we see Forever. who gets the most or whatever. Like it doesn't have to be competition-wise, but it, it's something to make it a little, little more pressure and a little bit more uh, resistance to your training. Um, that's going to accelerate all, your growth. It's basically a game. Uh, like you said, like Byron said, it's fun. But one thing I like that Daniel Coyle talks about, and he was talking about the, the Bonner drill, uh, Matt Bonner, the basketball player, about the shooting drill there. Um, he says, Basically, he said it succeeds because it's not called a drill. It's called a challenge. And he started talking about, like many successful organizations, the Spurs, who Matt Bonner is a coach for, understand the power of words. And... What he did is he illustrated, he said, you know, when a Spurs player comes into practice early, uh, they do a little bit extra work. Uh, they call these extra sessions vitamins. Um, basically, that's if you come in early or you stay late and you're, you're doing extra work, they call it vitamins. Um, every other league, every other team in the league calls it early work or extra work. And basically, if you throw work in there, that, uh, that's a negative connotation. And, uh, Basically, it's kind of crazy, the power of words, calling it a challenge versus extra work. And uh, basically, his studies have shown that by calling it a challenge, you're getting more more out of it. Um, basically, your brain's, your brain's working on that. You, it tricks your brain into uh, basically uh, performing better. So I, I thought that was kind of neat about the, the power of words there. We'll put a link to this article in the show notes. And towards the bottom of the article, there's a video called uh, Bucket Ball. And it's a great – if you play soccer, which some of our listeners probably have played soccer, uh, having a pretty decent-sized audience in Brazil. Yeah. yeah, and you know, in the United States as well or anywhere in the world. Soccer is actually a, kind of a, a fairly large sport worldwide, Gary. Yeah, I think it's probably <laughs> the largest. Or football. And some people call football. it football. Yeah, I'm already messing yeah. up for a good yeah. chunk of our audience here. But uh, if you play this football um, – Or soccer. If you, if you think about – if you're okay, you're going to go play a game. Um. You get the experience of the game, and you get – if you think about how many times you get to touch the ball and affect its course and, and get control of it and, and maintain control. You know what I mean? Like those are like seconds or minutes that, that you've uh, – that you're playing there. You could add up to, to be a portion of the game. But if you're going to drill, let's say you're just going to try to kick it and hit like a target or something like that. That's one way to drill, I guess. And I, I don't know what actually soccer drills, Gary. So. But he got the, has, has this game, this video here called Bucket Ball. You should check it out. These guys yeah, are amazing. I mean, there's soccer drills, and then there's bucket ball challenges. So, uh, you know, it's 
drills versus challenges. The, 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 the guy will kick it inbounds to his uh, team of like three other soccer players, and it will never hit the ground. The guy will stop it with his chest, and it will bounce off his knee, and he'll kick knee it up, and the guy will hit it with his head, and then kick it to the next guy, and the ball does not touch the ground. So the amount of time or amount of uh, touches each player gets is – you know, fifty or sixty in in a few minutes compared to the how many times you get to touch the ball in an actual game. You know, so they're getting tons of um, experience in building that myelin in their brain about how to control the soccer ball. That they would it would take them years to get this uh, control um, if they didn't do this sort of a challenge. And it has nothing to do with soccer. I mean, they're, you're, you're not going to just bounce the the ball off your knee and head and and pass it into the air to your teammate. But you're getting so much control over what you're doing. And, uh, and and over the ball, it's uh, it's and it's just kind of cool to watch. And it's fun, yeah, <laughs> yeah, and it's fun. But could you imagine some people who aren't very good at soccer, like myself and you, trying to do this game? Yeah, it wouldn't work. I mean, it wouldn't we, work. we don't put yeah, so I guess you have the baseline. It would be hilarious. But uh, I mean, it looks like hacky sack with a soccer ball and uh, really athletic people playing it, and and I, I can imagine it helps them place the ball where they want to place the ball in the long run. I mean, that's kind of what it's all about. Not knowing soccer that well, but it, I mean, you got to kick the the end result of soccer is kick it into that rink, right, Kerry? Into the goal, Byron. Okay, yeah, you're, I didn't get... you're playing on the pitch and you're kicking into the goal. I think. Okay, I'm writing that down. It's a goal. Okay, I thought either it was a hole or a rink, and I didn't know, but I didn't know it was a goal. A hole is soccer. Rink is ice. Okay, here Hockey. we go. Hockey. Yeah. <clears throat> um, I'm, you know, I just got to keep learning. That's the big thing. Well, you know, the more we do this, and I mean, we'll turn it into a to a challenge. You know, we can have the uh, the sports surface challenge next week. One game that that uh, I want to mention before we head out to our interview that, that I play sometimes with my uh, uh, training partners would be you you hold a racquetball in your hand and you roll, basically uh, eliminating the grips from that hand, and uh, it, it's it doesn't completely change what you're doing, but it makes it harder. And you could you could roll like any other day, and and it, it's going to change the way you do things. But it'll kind of open your eyes up to what you might be doing differently, or or maybe how to use your legs differently, or or what you're still able to do with the arm without a without a grip. But uh, it's like just kind idea. of fun. Yeah, I mean, it was like the uh, I know the time you've had me uh, when we've rolled together. You've made me put that straight jacket on. <laughs> I mean, it, it makes me move without being able to use my hands, and you also take belts and tie my legs up too, but. It's great because I have to try to figure out how to get out of that choke you've just put me in when I have no hands, no legs, I can't move. And uh, it's it's a lot of body awareness, that, yeah. that drill you've taught me. That was the one time when Gary wore that darn safety jacket that I did not get Kimura. It was amazing. I, it was my best role. I tried. So I recommend uh, try it out with a racquetball. A bowling ball is a little bit tougher. It's more likely to cause finger injuries and actually rolling with a brick, although we uh, – have it looks like we advocate this we probably would recommend against rolling with the actual brick. yeah yeah racquetball is probably the best or lacrosse ball <laughs> i don't know what a lacrosse ball is like but uh we'll see gary man okay is, is it where's the lacrosse recro- recro- <laughs> i can't even talk <laughs> where does a lacrosse ball go does it go into the to the hole or the rink or back it goes into the goal okay very good man you know Which a lot fun. about a lot of sports gary Oh, I just got a Google. Google is my friend. 
Well, that's good to know. Um, so we would like you to uh, participate in this episode a little bit by letting us know your opinions. Uh, Tim Sled is going to uh, share with us his, and, and we'll kind of interject ours here and there a little bit. And uh, we're, we're pretty much, uh, you know, like we said, we don't disagree strongly with anything Tim says. So, and you know, Gary and I don't really run a gym, so that, like like the uh, ideas of gym ownership and how to deal with students and things like that, we really haven't come across that sort of thing, but. Uh, but uh, we'll let Tim Tim uh, share his views with you. And if you want to meet us online on our website and comment there or on the uh, Facebook page and let us know how you feel about some of these, that would be great. Or in Reddit or wherever else you might uh, find yourself conversating with us. All right, let's go ahead and air the interview with Tim Sled. This is part one, Taboos. Diary of the World's Most Interesting Grappler. This is a reading from my diary. As I made my way to the North Pole, my goal was to find a place up there to train. For this is one of the few places on my map that I have never trained. Dear Diary, this is day 22 of my trek to the North Pole. It was today that I had a haunting thought that came across my mind and landed on me like a ton of bricks. I have not showered or bathed my entire journey. This undoubtedly makes me the stinky guy. My heart is heavy today, and I realize even if I find someone to grapple with, they will not want to grapple with me. It has been said by men much wiser than myself, nobody wants to roll with a stinky guy. Nobody. I don't always listen to podcasts, but when I do, I prefer the BJJ Brick Podcast. Stay sweaty, my friends. All right, my friends, I'm happy to bring Tim Sled back to the BJJ Brick Podcast. Tim, welcome back. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited about uh, this interview, talking about taboo topics of BJJ. <laughs> so am I. We've got uh, a nice little list we've put together about things that, uh, you know, if you're in this long enough, you see basically all these, but um, you'll see some of these pretty pretty soon after you start even. It seems like in most exactly. places, but uh, it'll be uh Interesting episode to say the least, and and hopefully um, maybe help some people out and help people with their decision making when it comes to jujitsu. Or maybe off the mat as well. Sure. Yeah, and the, and the nice thing is, is this is going to be. I mean, largely you're going to be hearing my opinions, and people are free to disagree or have different perspectives. But uh, you know, it's uh, there is uh, there are different parts of the BJJ culture that sort of just uh, you know, quietly moves around the taboo topics. And uh, I, I just I like to kind of shine light on them and make people think. So here we go. Yeah, and, that, and, and I think this whole thing came from uh, last time when we, uh, when we did our interview, you said something about, you know, um, <clears throat> ask me anything. You know, I'm, I'm okay with the, with the stuff that most people don't want to be asked. And, and we kind of made note of that, and here we are today. Uh, catching back up with you, and we're asking you anything. So, <laughs> before we, we before we get started, could you kind of give just a quick bio about who you are and 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 what you what you do and what you train? Absolutely, uh, I'm Tim Sled. I'm a first degree black belt under Andre Galvo. Uh, I got my black belt in 2011 from him. I am the owner of Atos Oceanside. Uh, the team's called Small Axe Jiu-Jitsu. We're in Oceanside, California. Uh, my day job is I am the director of affiliate relations for the Autos Jiu-Jitsu Association. And so I coordinate, manage, uh, provide support to all the different Autos affiliates that are out there. Um, 
uh, father of two kids, um, super busy, uh, but you know, I'm, a, I'm a, what I call a BGJ nerd. I'm a nerd in general. I was a, a lawyer in my previous <laughs> life. Uh, before I before I left, moved across the country and uh, opened a gym and, and became the director. Uh, so, I've, uh, but I'm I'm a, definitely a BGJ nerd. Uh, all the topics that we've kind of uh, went over in a list beforehand are things that I've thought about, things that I've formed opinions on, things I've talked to people about, uh, and. Um, you know, among other things, I'm a student of the techniques that are out there. I'm a student of the instructors of all different blends, brands, and models. Um, so, you know, I, I, I relish uh, in not just being uh, somebody who's a BJJ brick, but somebody who's a BJJ nerd. So. <laughs> all right. And you, you mentioned, obviously, you're black belt under Andre Yavo, but um, mm-hmm. you, you briefly mentioned that you were a lawyer. And you, um, mm-hmm. we talked about it last time a little bit that you, you left that, uh, path mm-hmm. and, and chose this, but, um, did you just to kind of, I think it's semi-relevant because we're talking about these things that are kind of, kind of borderline some kind of, uh, mm-hmm. moral or ethical things, but did you, did you dabble in law or were you a lawyer that was prosecuting cases and doing things and kind of, kind of tell us a little bit about that? No, oh, yeah. no I was, uh, I was, I was full fledged, uh, an attorney. I, um, uh, so my first stint, uh, the first part of my legal career, I was a uh, criminal defense lawyer. I did some federal criminal defense work. I did uh, private practice, defense and divorce, and then some uh, court-appointed criminal defense work as well. Uh, the second part of my legal career, I was a judge. Uh, I got appointed to be an interim judge uh, while they, they filled a position for a judge that died uh, in our in the community I lived in, and that was a good transition because I got hired to be the chief trial deputy for the prosecutor's office where I worked. And I handled major felonies and uh, prosecuted everything from homicides down to public intoxication cases. Um, had a, a number of jury trials. Uh, was in the courtroom daily. Um, so no, I I didn't dabble in the law. <laughs> I immersed myself in the law to the point where I was uh, I was ready to dry off. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, I, I listened to your uh, or watched your your interview with Budo Jake and 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 he you guys talked about it a little bit and I was like wow I didn't realize how much into the law side of things that you were but uh, or you yeah. you were in but uh, anyway uh, so yeah. it's, it's good to if you haven't if, if listener hasn't heard you yet or had, didn't catch your last interview is kind of good to get up to speed and, and who you are and, and where you're coming from with your ideas. But, uh, let's get on with the, with the taboo topics here. Um, sure. one that, that I was introduced to, and I think, you know, 10, 12 years ago, it, it was a taboo to wash your belt. Mm. The belt washing, uh, conundrum, especially for the, the white, blue and purple belts, I find, there's a, uh, they are the people that are most concerned about what is the impact on washing their belt. Um, so my opinion on this is formed from, uh, sort of the folklore around it. There was, there is, uh, martial arts folklore that the colored belt system came from this notion of you start with a white belt, you train so much that it becomes dirty and brown and then it becomes black. And then there's a notion that it, you wear the belt for so long, it then becomes white again. Uh, and that's how the colored belt system came to be. And that's, that's folklore. Um, 
there there weren't always multiple belt colors. The belt grading system uh, in all martial arts um, uh, really became defined with judo, uh, and 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 so you know, the notion of going from a white belt to a black belt because of uh, uh, dirt and fecal matter and skin cells <laughs> and lint. Um, uh, and I, and I put it, I phrase it like that because I want people to think about how disgusting that is. Yeah. Uh, um, uh, I think that that's, that's a little bit of folklore to buy into. And there, and I've heard people say that if you wash your belt, you, know, you wash the knowledge out of it. I think my first Brazilian Jiu Jitsu coach said that to a class one time. I don't know whether he washes his belt or not, but, uh, you know, there was that, that phrase at least got said. And, um, of course it's not true. Uh, you can, you can wash your belt and nothing changes. You can lose your belt and you don't become, uh, dumb. You don't become, you don't revert back to, uh, zero. So really the, the, the thing comes down to it is what's the purpose of washing your belt and hygiene is a huge reason to wash your belt. There's a podcast on the fight works podcast, which is an old podcast. I had a lot of good interviews. They had a, uh, uh, they had a microbiologist. I think she was who studied, um, the belts, uh, of people in a gym and what she found inside the belt versus inside the kimono versus inside the toilet seat of the gym, you know, was very gross. Um, a, a surprising amount of, of fecal matter poop. Uh, and, um, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty easy if you think, okay, I've got a two inch piece of cloth and I'm going to tie around the outside of my kimono. Uh, I'm going to train on a floor of varying degrees of cleanliness, depending upon where you train, but there, but every grappling floor gets dirty by the end of a class, just by way of people coming on and, uh, walking on on walking off and, and training and sweating and sometimes bleeding. Um, and, Every time you train, you you go home and you wash your kimono and your pants and your undergarments, uh, but you don't wash your belt. And then you go back and you train again, and things just start to layer upon layer and upon layer. And, you know, I've trained with people whose belts smelled so bad, I thought their whole body smelled. But their gi was clean, but their belt was functified. So, you know, you just you can't imagine what's in there, the bacteria that's in there that's causing the the odor, uh, let alone just the bacteria in there that doesn't cause odor but can cause sickness. I mean, the the, uh, the staph bacteria is odorless. You can't smell it. Um, and it, like other bacteria, needs uh, food. It needs moisture. Um, so if your belt is getting as soaked as your detop is, and uh, not being washed and not being dried, then you're you're just providing a very um, fertile ground for bad things. And as grapplers, I mean, I guess in other martial arts where you don't make any contact with another person or very limited contact with another person, there, there's probably not going to be a lot of transmission of bad things from one belt to a person. But in jiu-jitsu, we are having the most intimate levels of physical contact in a martial arts sense. Um, and 
so if somebody has a sore or has a, a cut or gets a fingernail scratch and then that belt rubs against it, which is, there's a high probability of, you know, you really risk injuring and furthering an injure, injury of, uh, of your training partner. And so hygiene is, is crit- it's critical to clean your belt for hygiene, hygiene purposes. And uh, so you get people that say, well, you know, it, it, it'll, that guy over there, he's really not that good. His blue belt's just really tattered because he washes it a lot. And yeah. he's doing that because he wants to get promoted faster. Well, that's a, that's a, that's a judgment that somebody's making. And it's basically saying that guy's instructor is a complete moron and is only going to promote him based upon the way his belt <laughs> looks. And I don't know. I really, I, I know a lot of instructors and I know a lot of instructors of, of varying skills, but I don't know any that are so fooled by the appearance of a belt, um, that that's that's what they base their promotion on. Ooh, this guy really, this guy's belt's really old. I need to give him a purple belt. No, I don't. I haven't seen that happen. You know, it's common in martial arts, even other forms of martial arts, uh, for people to, um, you know, put sandpaper on their belt to make the edges fray to give it an aged look, and you know, all these all these weird sort of vain. Uh, attempts to make themselves look more seasoned than what they are. But that's the beautiful thing about jujitsu in my mind. When you get on the mats and you smack hands and bump fists, it doesn't matter what your gi looks like. It doesn't matter what your belt looks like. Your skills are what perform and what speak the volumes of what you had. So I don't, I don't ever concern myself with what belt a person's wearing or what their belt looks like. Uh, I care about how they grip, how they, uh, what kind of a guard they play. Uh, where's their pressure? You know, it, uh, it's, that's what speaks volumes. And, you know, I, I can't say that I haven't gone to a tournament as a lower belt and been intimidated by somebody that's got four stripes on their belt and the, and the thing's falling apart. And like, Ooh, that guy's like at the top of our <laughs> level. Maybe that person is, or maybe that person's really vain and has figured out how to, you know, they bleach their belt or sandpaper their belt or tied it to the, the door handle in their car and, you know, drove around with it banging off the ground. I, who knows? I mean, people will do all sorts of things, but wash the belt. That's my, my opinion is it's a part of our uniform that needs to be cleaned. Um, if your stripes fall off, if you're at a school that does stripes and they fall off, uh, you know, your instructor will probably gladly put them back on or, you know, you and good, honest and integrity can put honesty and integrity can put the right number of stripes back on after they fall off in the wash and, um, and life will be grand and you reduce your risk of getting ringworm, which is a fungus that needs moisture and, and grime to survive or staff, which is another sort of game ender. You get staff, you need to be off the mat until it heals. Um, uh, and so I'm a, I'm a big proponent of washing belts. Okay. That, uh, clear stance in there. And I, I think, I think I need to go buy some sandpaper now cause I never did realize that was a, a thing. I, I found that. <laughs> Uh, by drying things, that's where they wear out. And I don't want to wear out my gi, and I don't want to wear out my belt necessarily. So I I wash them, but I hang them up and let them dry. Um, even if you know the whole shrinking thing is a different thing altogether. But the fact that they're tumbling in in that in that dry environment, they just seem to make everything wear out quicker. So I'm I'm yeah, I'm look, on hang drying. I got a little bit of an opinion. I got a little bit of an opinion on that too. Um, okay. So um, if you can put it in a place where it will dry. Quickly, yes. I think you're okay. Like sun drying, 
um, which in Brazil or in Southern California is a very, very easy thing. You can line dry stuff here really easily. Um, but when I lived in Indiana, you know, there was v- very seldom was there a place where I could get a kimono to dry quickly enough because you do not want it to be damp and dark um, for very long. Uh, it'll, and you can tell when somebody does a lot of air drying their ghee, but it doesn't dry quickly enough because it'll get like a musty yeah. smell. Uh, and that's bad. That's a bad sign. The musty smell <laughs> uh, is either a type of bacteria or it's a type of fungus. And um, the, especially the lapels. The lapels are really hard to get dry with air drying. So I'm a. I always I teach my students that you know uh, it's it's important to dry your knees. And I use the term bone dry. And one of my one of my students gets a kick out of that. He always um, puts that in quotation marks when he's talking about his ghee. Um, but uh, you know I do explain to them your ghee will wear out faster yeah. washing and tumble drying it. Um, but in the in the scheme of things, it's it's really not that it doesn't it doesn't tear them up that much. And the replacement value versus cost of time off the mat if you catch ringworm or something is is negligible. I'll I'll pay you know one hundred twenty dollars a year for a new ghee versus having to take seven days off so I don't spread ringworm. Okay, that's that's good information, and uh, not to uh, debate. But I always put a fan at my. Uh, on my gi, and that just, it seems like it dries three times as fast, and and, uh, and I, I hope yeah. I'm not the guy walking around with a, a, a no, musty gee. smelling gi. <laughs> I hope somebody would tell me. But uh, no, and, and Byron, the cool thing about this whole topic and interview is that you and I may have differing opinions, and yeah. there's no need to apologize about that. Um, you know, people, a lot of people will disagree with my drying the kimono position uh, because they're like, look, I it does get dry fast enough. And that's why I put the caveat there. If it's going to get dry quick enough, you're fine. But I worry about air drying it. If if it's not, because that's just that little moisture. That's where the bad things like to be. Yeah, and and, and if you forget to take it out of the washing machine until the morning, uh, you're in trouble. Oh, then. <laughs> well, that was oh, uh, a little bit about belt washing. Um, now, say on the topic of belts. Um, it seems like sometimes some schools, and you'll you could even see it on Facebook or, or wherever they post it. Uh, when you get promoted, uh, they they'll do like a belt whipping uh, gauntlet type of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I'm I have uh, I have a big opinion on belt whipping and the gauntlets. I'm against them, um, and you know there's there's people that uh, are very have very strong opinions on this, but here's the reason that I'm against it. Uh, number one, it's, it's hazing. Uh, and what is, what is hazing? Hazing is a negative, um, uh, a negative reinforcement for purposes of attempting to build solidarity. Um, uh, and in jujitsu, it's a negative reinforcement, negative reinforcement to a positive, uh, uh, a positive performance of some sort. Like you, you made it to the next level. So here's a whipping. Um, and so I think that if we weren't concerned about the perceptions of the new students, if we weren't concerned about, you know, creating an environment of safety, then that's fine. Uh, then, then this is all something that is is okay and probably maybe even good 
to do. But the, for me, I, I don't want a person uh, to come into my school who lacks in some confidence, who is, um, you know, not sure of themselves and how they could defend themselves and not sure what their pain tolerance is and not sure what their, uh, their ability to succeed in this martial art will be to, to witness, um, you know, a belt whipping, uh, that leaves marks on a person's back, sometimes nasty bruises and welts on a person's back, and have them think, oh, this is going to make me stronger. This is they're not, That's not what they're going to think. They're going to think, oh, my gosh, I'm scared. I can't do this. I don't want to push forward. I don't want to try this. Uh, I, I, I'll never, a, I'll never get to a blue belt because, you know, I sparred with the blue belt last week and they, they annihilated me. But even if I do get to that, I'm going to have to do, I'm going to have to walk twice up and down this, you know, path of people that are, that are going to whip me and whip me hard. Um, so my jujitsu philosophy is my gym should be the best two hours of a person's day and life. Um, they should feel built up, not broken down. Um, yes, we will train very hard and I will find ways to torture my students, but always in, a, in an attempt to help them discover their inner strengths. And I see gauntlets as a, uh, a chipping away at a person. It's, it's, a, it's a way to sort of set up a hierarchy, um, and, and there are just there are different rites of passage. So symbolically, I don't see the point. I don't see the point of whipping somebody. Uh, I don't, it, symbolically to me, what, is that, what does that indicate? I mean, it's not like we thrash each other with belts as you go up the belt rank, so you're actually showing somebody this is what the next level is going to be like. Um, that would make sense. If, if, if at Brown Belt, you, before you entered the tournament or while you were in a tournament, you got to give 60 lashes with a, with a belt, you know, it would make sense that part of our training then would be to suffer through lashes so that we could, um, we could understand what we're up against next, but that's not true. So with my school, what we do, we throw a per- the, the instructors throw a student when they get their new belt. And, uh, and the, the instructor gets to choose what throw they want to do. Do they, do they want to do a harai goshi or uchimata or do they do a double leg takedown or, a, you know, kasotogari uh, uh, or whatever. Um, but there's symbolism in that. And I always talk about the symbolism in that is that somebody gets a new belt, they're super proud. They're super, they're at the, they're at the pinnacle of that moment in their BJJ training. And so the, the instructors, um, to remind them of how many failures and falls they took to get to that level, throw them again and watch them stand up. And, you know, and I, whenever we do that, I, I specifically go through that exact speech of saying, you know, there's a reason that you get thrown. Uh, you get thrown because every time you hit the ground, you've got to figure out how you're going to get back up. And it doesn't matter whether it's your best day or your worst day. This is Joe's best day because, you know, he, he just, he just moved into the blue belts and, uh, Joe's got to figure out how he's going to get up after, you know, Evan and I throw him and, you know, and so there's some symbolism to that. I don't see the symbolism in the gauntlet. 
all it is for me is it's a, it's a way of two people to kind of sit around while they're having a beer at some point in time and say, man, do you remember that time you ran that gauntlet? That was crazy. You got, man, you had bruises for weeks for that. Yeah, I know that hurt really bad. Uh, almost as bad as what it looked like when you got your purple belt, man, I know. Did it make their jujitsu better? I don't know. Did it make their camaraderie better? Maybe. But, but what about the, what about the person who we're really targeting with martial arts? In my opinion, the martial art isn't for, isn't to make the bad guys worse. It's to make the least of us better. And I think hazing is a poor way to bring about strength among the weakest. You know, in, in, a, in a chain, you're only as strong as your weakest link. In your team, you're only as strong as your weakest player. And you've got to build people up, not break them down. And I think a gauntlet stands as a visual symbol of, of, of pain uh, and, and, and torture that doesn't have to be, and leaders, I, I, you know, I just don't see it as a, as a, a real sign of leadership to say, okay, you must go through the gauntlet. And the best leaders I know have often have gauntlets at their schools. I mean, uh, my professor does gauntlets at, at his school, not always. And, uh, I don't think anybody's forced to do a gauntlet. But I know schools where they are forced to do a gauntlet. And I've seen some where they're forced to do it with their kimonos off, you know, uh, so that you're getting raw skin, getting whacked by people's belts that haven't been washed. <laughs> uh, uh, how's that for a throwback? Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, uh, and, and I just, for me, it's a little bit absurd. Like I said, some people listening to this or commenting this will, will, will throw out a term of the pussification of BJJ. Uh, I've, I commented this. I, I talked about this on on some thread one time, and and I forget who posted, but some guy said this is just a clear sign of the pussification of BJJ, and I challenged that person to come to my class and go through one of my shugyo trainings. Um, there there there's no there's no wussification going on at my academy. Uh, my my students are built up and and. It's, it's not, it's not phony propping. It's real propping. They're training hard. They're drilling. They're, uh, during Shibyo training, they're being, they're going to the point where they have to quit and then I'm making them go farther. And, but it's all purposeful. It's all to develop their BJJ sense, their sense of confidence, their sense of self, their ability to confront pain and, and push forward. And, uh, a gauntlet doesn't do that. Uh, you know, in my, in my opinion, a, a gauntlet is, is nothing but a form paving. A lot said there, but uh, I think the overall one of the big messages out of that was: uh, what, do, what would new students think about this, or how does this reflect on them when they? I'm a new white belt, and and I'm seeing these blue belts. I'm done. I can't do that. I don't want to do that. That that person, you know, is in the gym for the right reason. They want to build their confidence. They want to build their self esteem. They want to have some martial art ability, and uh, you're creating an environment that may be more. Uh, for the athletic people and the people who are macho and tough, but is that what Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is all about? It's about technique. It's about learning. It's about creating an environment that that that, that could happen. And I think that a lot of the times um, you'll push those people that need it the most out of the out of the room um, without even exactly, knowing. Byron. I mean, I think you ask anybody who goes through gauntlets and you say, which do you prefer? Do you prefer Jiu-Jitsu or do you prefer Taekwondo? And 
and I say prefer. It's not which do you think is better, which do you prefer? And and the guys that have gone through the gauntlet are going to say, oh, man, jiu-jitsu. I prefer jiu-jitsu all day, every day. You know, that's what I would say. And and then you say, okay, so now if you if somebody comes to you and they say, hey, I want to do a martial art, what martial art do you say to them? You say, oh, I want you to do jiu-jitsu. Okay? But then that person comes in the school and you engage in an act that makes the person say, ooh, I'd rather go do taekwondo. Have you succeeded in your carrying forward our martial art? I don't think so. I think you've chased somebody away. They're going to go someplace where they don't get whipped by belts, you know, maybe taekwondo, and uh, they don't get the value of the thing that we all love. And it's, it's sad that a single act, uh, a, a, a gauntlet, a belt whipping ceremony, could be the thing that keeps somebody away from the 10,000 acts that go on in jujitsu that we all fell in love with, you know, the, you know, the, the, the act of, of, uh, of, of watching a beautiful match or being involved in a beautiful role, the act of, you know, catching your first submission or catching a cool technique or hitting a sweep on somebody that's much bigger than you, you know, these little things that you log in your head as being the moments that you realize you love jujitsu, you know, the, the, for me, one of my favorite things and one of the things I remember in my head most is when I've rolled with people who were so good that I didn't, I felt like I didn't know anything despite knowing a lot. And those are beautiful things. When I've rolled with professor Andre or Marcelo Garcia, these are the feelings that I had. It was just like, I know jujitsu at the time I rolled with Marcelo. I was, uh, I was brown belt and I rolled with Andre many times, uh, even as a black belt. And almost every time it feels like I don't know jujitsu. And that's beautiful to me. That's what makes me love jujitsu. And to think that one event could have that impact for what I think, what I see is no or uh, nominal benefit to anybody. It could have that impact. I mean, there's no benefit to it. There's re- it's, it's just a rite of passage. It's a way for, you know, people to laugh at the pain of others. I mean, it's, uh, I, don't, I don't see much philosophically that jibes with me. These, the first two topics, the, the belt wa- washing and then also the belt whipping, um, they, they both have something related that they, it's the culture of the school and it's supported by the instructor. Mm-hmm. So I'm a white belt, I'm a blue belt, and this is my school, I like this school, and this happens. Both, I, I'm, I'm told not to wash my belt, and I'm told uh, that I will participate in belt whipping and I will be whipped uh, when it's my chance to be promoted. How do you... Re- what would you say to a student like that with, the, with a question like that? That's a very frightening place to be. Um, you know, I, I think morally, um, well, first, if, you're, if your professor notices that you are washing your belt and your professor gets upset with you washing your belt, that's a dangerous environment. I think you can wash your belt and pretend like you don't wash your belt and nobody will be the wiser and everybody will be cleaner. Um, so I would say, screw that rule, pardon my language, but I would say, screw that rule, wash your belt. Okay. Uh, the, gaunt- the gauntlet thing, uh, and I've, I've abstained from being involved in a gauntlet. There's one of my uh, cohorts in Indiana has a school. He does, he does gauntlets. I was there for a major promotion, and everybody started lining up for a gauntlet, and me and a couple other people stepped off to the side uh, and just didn't participate. Um, I did not want this the person who's being promoted, their memory of me to be one of those lashings. Uh, and, um, you know, I, 
I think abstaining is uh, is appropriate, especially if you're morally convicted not to do it, as I am. I'm morally convicted not to whip somebody with my belt. I, I just, I, in my heart, feel like it's the wrong thing to do. Um, do you have to make a lot of noise about it? It depends on who you are and how convicted you are about it. I know I, I also have talked to somebody who I know, uh, they always just happen to find the need to use the restroom when these things are about to happen. <laughs> and they leave, you know, and, and that's perfectly fine. You can be part of a, a school that does that and then not participate in it. The problem is, is you're likely going to come up against a promotion where then it's expected that you go through it. And there's a chance that you will be shamed if you don't, and my advice to a student who uh, wants to stay at a school uh, but does not want to participate in gauntlets nor be the subject of a gauntlet, they need to make that very clear to the instructor uh, so that they know that that'll be that'll be something that causes a big problem later. And the instructor's response should be very uh, telling about what the instructor thinks of the student as a person and as a, um, a martial artist. If the instructor says, Oh no, you're going to go through this. And despite, you know, a moral conviction to the, the opposite, or despite, you know, the fact that this is just something that they really shouldn't do. That's a, that's a scary relationship to be involved in. You're in a relationship then at that point where the person says, I don't care what you think you're going to do. And we don't have to live like that. And as a white belt and a blue belt, it's really sort of, that's a scary thing to hear. You're like, yeah, we don't have to do, we don't have to live like that. But what are my options? I mean, do I have to go to another school? Do I have to drive to another town? If I'm, maybe I'm in the Midwest where the schools are spread out. This is the only school in town. What do I do? I mean, it's a very scary thing. But at the same time, the sooner one starts standing up for his or herself, and saying my moral convictions, my my personal space, my body is mine, and you can't tell me what's going to happen to it. Um, uh, the sooner people get comfortable with that and break away the notion that your instructor is some sort of master over you and gets to to deviate from from your your uh, your desires in that sense, the sooner you can break away from that, the better. Uh, and I'd rather see a white belt who is fearful or scared or violated by a professor who won't allow for a deviation. Um, I'm, I'm, I'd rather see that white belt walk early than go through years of sort of mental manipulation in that sense and lose a part of themselves themselves in there. So it's tough, but and you know I think that that's where you know having somebody to reach out to. And if somebody listening to this is in that position, um, I'm somebody they can reach out to, you know, they can email me. Um, they can Facebook me and say, Hey, I'm in a situation where I'm, you know, I'm a white belt, three stripes. You know, I like my school. I, I'm, I know I'm going to be getting promoted soon, but man, the professor makes everybody do a gauntlet. Well, I, I'll help them through that. I mean, I'll even advocate for them if that's what they want, um, because that's, it shouldn't be that way. A lot of professors now, especially in the U.S., especially it's, it's criminal in some sense. To be forced to do a gauntlet is technically a crime. 
Yeah, at least in Indiana, it was. I mean, they have hate. There, there is a, a law against hazing in Indiana, and and being forced to do a gauntlet would fit squarely within the the statute of, uh, of for hazing. I don't know about other states, but um, you know, it, it, to me, nonetheless, I still I still find it to be criminal to be forced to do something against your will that causes pain or injury. Um, isn't right. Yeah, and, uh, and and I'm willing to. I'm willing if somebody needs. I'm willing. I don't care what team you're on. I don't care what race, color, creed you are. You're a human being. I'm willing to talk you through it, give you options, brainstorm with you, uh, help you figure things out without any payment, without any, you know, belief that you're going to come over and start wearing my patch. This is just a human being who's been through. I'm I'm a black ball. I've been through all this stuff. If you find if somebody listening to this finds themselves in that situation, I'm here. I will make time to help them through that situation, uh, and not. I I just vow to do that. So um, there are other people that they can reach out to in their area. They just probably are a little bit afraid. They don't know me, so so contact me. I'll put them in touch with somebody that can help them. Um, And it's not it's nothing. There's no shame to it either. There's no shame in sticking up for yourself. That's part of being a martial artist. Yeah, that that's that's big. Uh, you wanted to be able to help out people, and and uh, you know, uh, I know lawyers' time is not cheap. So the advice you're able to give them is, is high quality advice, and and uh, you're just you're just willing to help people uh, continue on with their journey and, and to get better at, at martial arts. Any other forms of hazing that you want to uh, speak about before we move on? There are certain rites of passage that you know have elements of hazing in them, but yet they're they're so clearly linked to what it takes to progress. You know, I've, uh, it's not uncommon for me to tap a person with my cross side pressure. Um, and, and maybe do it twice in a roll. And that has a little bit of, I know that I know we're going to talk about maybe Matt bullies in a little bit. That may have a little bit of, uh, hazing in there, but what it, what it does is it's a clear example of pressure. It's a clear example of how with pressure put in the right place, and not knowing how to move right, you can be suffocated. So, uh, and and there's always a lesson attached to it. But I can't think of any other hazing things that that I've really been privy to um, uh, that I have a comment on. I mean, the gauntlet is the big one, and it's so prevalent. And uh, I know people engage in it uh, and feel guilty. I know people engage as the recipients of it and hated, hated every part about it and made them feel ill and and weak and, you know, uh, and that shouldn't be just an accepted thing. If somebody says, Hey guys, I want you to run me through a belt gauntlet. Well, that guy subscribed. That's what that person (laughs) wants. Yeah. Hop on board. Give, Give that guy a licking. But, uh, you know, I think short of that, it shouldn't be, I'm not a fan of it. Yeah. And, it, and, and like you're trying to build people up, and, and when when they go home and they they feel like they didn't want to do it and they went ahead and did it anyway, that's that didn't that didn't help them with their their boss who's a jerk that that runs them down all the time that doesn't give them that confidence that uh-huh. they were looking for and in, in the act of standing up for yourself, and, uh-huh. and that's more of a social setting than it is a jujitsu setting. Um, the belt whipping uh-huh. thing, because like you're saying, it's nothing to do with jujitsu. It's just a belt that that they're beating you with as you walk by. <laughs> But um, let's let's transition over to uh, changing schools or or maybe leaving a school. Um, mm. How is how do you feel about this? 
Well, there's the notion of creancy, and um, that term um, became uh, from Carlson Gracie. Um, there was a there's a soap opera uh, in Brazil, uh, probably back in the 70s, maybe in the 80s, and one of the one of the villains in it uh, was a was a guy with that name, I think, Creonchi or something like that. I think that's what I've read. But ultimately, there, the connotation is um, there is a connotation that if you leave your school and go to a different school, you are a traitor. It's it's literally a uh, translates to be a traitor. Uh, and so my I've spoken about this before uh, many times. I left as a brown belt a team that I was with and went Ronin for several months without an instructor, without a flag. And then ultimately I came uh, into contact with Professor Andre and then I joined Optus. Um, so am I a traitor? Well, I don't think so. And here's, here's why I don't think so. This is America. Uh, maybe that's, maybe this is being heard in, in other uh, geographic markets as well, but probably wherever this is being heard, people are able to operate under free will. And the marketplace is an open marketplace. We're not in feudal Japan. We're not in uh, a situation where people are coming, learning jiu-jitsu for free, uh, or living inside. Very, very few people live inside of a gym where they uh, are provided shelter, food, and the inner workings of maybe business knowledge as well as jiu-jitsu training. Um, most people, the majority of people who are training Brazilian jiu-jitsu are signing up at a school, entering into a business relationship with an instructor, and being promised that they will be provided the service of, of jiu-jitsu in exchange for currency. Yeah, That's what this is. This is a business relationship. And in the United States, it's very easy because we are consumers and we're a consumer society. If we don't like a product, we go buy a different brand. Uh, So I see that if you're not satisfied with the product you're getting, then you should feel free to shop and find a better product that suits your needs. You know, some people like Wrangler jeans. Some people don't like Wrangler jeans. Um, Nobody should be forced to wear Wrangler jeans. Yes. Uh, You know, it might be too tight for you. You might not like cowboy pants. You might, (laughs) you know, whatever uh, you, you should. Now, with all of that being said, a person's actions when they are a consumer and choose to leave can be positive or negative. And how you leave makes you a traitor or not. If you are, if you storm out and are subversive, uh, you are uh, uh, Facebook messaging every other member of the class saying uh, bad things about the instructor, or you know, uh, embellishing stories about the instructor, or making drama about your exit, or uh, then you can become a trader if you try to undermine the business because of some dissatisfaction that you have, whatever that may be, um, then you may be considered a trader. A lot of people leave schools because they're dissatisfied with the length that, that they've been in a certain belt. And that 
carries with it a negative connotation if they bounce to another school in a hope to get a promotion. Um, uh, I always would find that to be a, a, a nice badge of honor if somebody left my school and went someplace else because they didn't get promoted fast enough with me. It means that I've got a high, a very high standard for my belts, um, as long as it was my withholding of the belt was just. Yeah. Um, but so then you get the other category. You do get the category of people who are taken care of by a gym. You know, they are, maybe they train for free. You know, maybe they are actually sleeping on the mats. You know, uh, maybe they're like a business apprentice that's being taught the way of doing a thing at their school. If that person then goes and cuts and immediately goes to the rival academy, that can create a lot of ill feelings. Um, and I think that's kind of what happened with the Carlson team is Carlson took care of these fighters, really brought these guys up, fed them, you know, gave them training for next to nothing. And, you know, when they started, these guys started making some money in fights, he started wanting, you know, a certain percentage of it for being their manager and their fight coach for a long time. And, you know, uh, I think his perception was, I don't, I don't know, I can't speak for him, but I, from what I've read, his perception was that their greed caused them to leave and form another team. And that made them traitors in his perception, creologies and created bad blood. So my advice to people who are looking to leave a team is measure why they want to leave. Is it because the is it because the schedule isn't working well? Is it because the techniques aren't what you're looking for? Is it because the style isn't right? Is it because of cleanliness? Is it something like that? Then they should communicate with that professor and see if they can't remedy the problem. If the problem can be remedied, you're not going to be a creology. You're not going to be a tra- traitor. If the problem can't be uh, rectified, then the person should be able to quietly, discreetly, maturely shop and maybe end up someplace else. And celebrating the new relationship is something else that you have to be cautious about. You don't want to over, I mean, maybe you find 100% release and satisfaction in your new place. You've left the (laughs) old place. You're at the new place and it's great. The mats are clean. People wash their belts. There's no, there's no, uh, gauntlets, um, you know, the techniques are cutting edge, you know, people are going to be paying attention to where you went and how you went. And if you celebrate too boastfully, you can really create bad blood. And, and that's really not what it's about. And that's sort of go back to Indiana In Indiana, in my early training, it was basically almost gang like in the sense that teams did not cross train. And if you cross-trained, you were a creonge, you were, you were a trader, you were somebody that got ribbed uh, by your coach, and your coach would be upset, and um, that never made any sense for me. And one of the things I did when I, when I left my first team was I said, well, I'm going to be Ronin, and as such, I'm going to train with everybody else in the state. And uh, you know, so I was surprised that when I had that mindset, there were others that were ready to have that mindset. And sure enough, you know, today on Facebook, I see, you know, a couple of my, a couple of my students are going to a, now it is an established Thursday tradition in Indiana that many brown belts and black belts get together on Thursday and they cross train all from different 
teams, all from different sort of organizations, all guys that may compete against each other or, um, you know, and, and we did a lot in Indiana and I use the term we, because it was all the people that participated in this open, opening up the doors. We did a lot to make cross training possible without stigma of traitorism, right? That's a, that's a made up word, but, uh, of being, a, of, of, uh, of, of being sort of a, a traitor. So, and it's, it's thriving right now. And it's so good for jujitsu. I, I, I preached it in Indiana all the time. I would come home from a California trip and I would preach it. Guys, we need to train with as many top level people as we possibly can. We need to have, you know, like James Klingerman would come to my school. I would go to James Klingerman school and I would say, this is really important for us because there's not many black belts in Indiana and our competition and our students competition is coming from California. And in California, there may be three, five, 10 black belts on the mat in a night. And the blue belts there are all absorbing. And the blue belts in Indiana, you know, we're struggling because there might be a black belt or a brown belt that shows up to teach. And uh, the only thing preventing there from being more was this notion of, well, we can't cross train because we'll be traitors. And that's just a lie. And it was holding back the competition scene in Indiana. But now you look at all these brown belts and black belts in Indiana that are cross training with each other. And then they're coming out and, and tearing up tournaments. Uh, you know, we, there were a couple of master seniors, uh, world champions, uh, in the lower belt levels this year from Indiana, from this group of people about whom I'm speaking, because they're training hard, they're training, right. They're training with different looks and feels. And then they're going back to their gyms and being loyal to their teams and, you know, uh, taking care of their students because not, not every student has the time to cross train, but, uh, a person who's worried about being a Creonchi or a traitor just needs to recognize that their actions are what make them a traitor, not where they go. And um, if you're being a, a very good word of caution is if your coach is spending a lot of energy bad-mouthing other coaches or professors in the area and trying to dissuade people from going and seeing those places, Stop, pause, and think about what is that purpose? Is that instructor or professor insecure about their own quality of their product and abilities? Um, you know, uh, it's no, I'm not the best. I'm definitely not a world champion. I'm not the best jujitsu practitioner. I'm not an excellent instructor. Uh, I do my best. I give my all. I've got a great program that I'm very, very proud of. But I tell prospective students, shop around, get a feel. You know, I have a two-week free trial at my school for a reason. And I tell them that. I said, because I want you to make sure that you like my mats, that you like my coaches, that you like the vibe. You know, some people want a school where they can, they can walk in and it's, it's got a bar atmosphere from the standpoint of people are cussing and playing, you know, you know grab ass and doing all that stuff. And my school won't be a fit for them. Um, and they need to know that before they sign up and then have to go through sort of this weird calculus of am I going to be a trader if I cancel my contract and go to a different school? Um, so I'm very open with my guy. I want my guys to cross train. I want my, I want my students to be the best they can be. I will give them my absolute best for the two hours that they're on the mat with me a day. But that doesn't mean they're not going to gain value from someplace else. And ultimately I'm comfortable enough that if I'm not the fit, 
I don't take it personally. Uh, I just can't. It's, it's not about me. I'm a service provider as the professor, as the instructor, as the gym owner. I am a service provider. I am not, the, the person coming through is not beholden to me. I'm beholden to them as my customer. I get to control certain things. I get to control curriculum. I get to, I get to in, uh, control qualifications for promotions and things of that sort. They don't get to say in that. But they do get a say in whether or not they walk in the door or walk out the door. I don't control them. Um, so it's hard, you know, levels of loyalty. And the, the, the big problem is that in jiu-jitsu, we form a, and I mean this in a cross-gender sense, we form a brother and sisterhood. We form a brotherhood with uh, our training partners. Uh, you, you sweat with them. You bleed with them. You get hurt by them. You hurt them. You, you know, all these things go on. And the business part of it breaks down into a friendship part of it, whether or not you like that. And, you know, great advice from business people would be like, oh, keep a, keep a clear wall between friendship and business. I can't do that. I really can't. But part of me being a good friend, even if I'm a professor, even if I'm a business owner, is giving freedom to my clients if they need it, if they want it. They should never feel handcuffed to me, especially if the product that they're getting isn't quality. You know, I would always hope for respect at the outset that they would come to me and they'd say, hey, Tim, you know, I really liked this place when I started because you didn't allow any cussing and my kids could be here. And, um, you know, we, you know, the mats were clean. But in the last six months, the mats are dirty. Um, you're saying bad words throughout class more often, you know. And who's to say that that won't happen at some point in my life? The person should be able to come to me and say, this is bothering me and it's causing me to be on the verge of leaving. If I don't respect that, they should have the freedom to walk. But if I respect it and change it, then the problem's solved. So uh, in a nutshell, don't slap a label on somebody who's a Creangi, um unless they're a true trader. And the, a true trader is somebody that is doing things um, maliciously with bad intent uh, or is playing dirty. And even then we shouldn't be smacking labels on people uh, because you've got to look in the mirror sometimes too. Yeah. In my experience, you, a lot of times you get a lot of the story, but it's hard to get the entire story of what's going on with people. And, um, does it really affect you? <laughs> That's part of my thing. But basically, it boils down to two different things. Uh, money, and then there's a social bond you have with your instructor and your classmates. Mm-hmm. And you're, mm-hmm. and either one of them, I mean, your instructor might be upset about the money. The instructor may not care about the money that, that was, you know, a one-fiftieth of their income is, is now gone. I mean, it may not be a big deal. But it can be that you spent years with them, and now they feel like you're just up and leaving. And and it seems like the the people who leave and, and do it more successfully that I've seen have had, like you said, a good reason. You know, like their work schedule changed, and, and you don't offer morning classes, and I got to train in the morning. I want to keep training, and I've got to go somewhere that does. And that's really that lets the instructors safe face. They're not abandoning the school. They're just they want to train, and they need to to make an adjustment to where they're training. Um, so I, there's like a lot of examples like that that could. Um, I don't know, let the instructor uh, feel like you're not just abandoning them socially um, and, and that bond you have. And, and 
a lot of times the schedules change again and you can come back and, and maybe not, but it's just, uh, I think, I think sometimes instructors get hurt by, by their students because they've invested so much in them. Oh, of course we're, we're human, you know, and, and, you know, we love, I know I love my students. They're uh, like really, and, 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 deeply emotionally invested in many of my students and you know, it would hurt if they left, but I have to understand that that's, I can't control uh, their need. And if they need to leave, then they need to leave, whether it's because their schedule changes or it's because, you know, maybe they're going through something and they can't handle uh, a little story about my, one of my all time best friends, still, still one of my best friends today. He and I were roommates and um, um, he left basically in the middle of the night, leaving me with rent. This is like 1998, 1999. And I called him up and I chewed him out and I said mean and hateful things to him. And he and I did not talk for about three years. We, we just, we lost contact with him. And in those three years, we both grew up. And the next time we saw each other, of course, we were, we had been friends for a while. We were essentially brothers, we, we got back together and I apologized for trying to be his dad because I tried to be his dad. And that wasn't my role in our friendship. That wasn't our, my role in his life. My role should have been to be supportive and know what he needed at that time. You know, and of, of course his actions may not have been perfect or right or just to me, but I, I shouldn't have acted the way that I did. It, it hurt three years of a, of a friendship. Um, and uh, it didn't promote love or growth. My actions didn't. And, and so in my, in my opinion, my actions were poor. I tried to control him in a way that he didn't need from me. Well, he needed, but he didn't need it from me. And it hurt our relationship. And so one of the things I've learned about that is, is that you have to be willing to let somebody have space to go. Uh, and then if the, if the bond is really there, if the love is really there, mutual respect is there, it'll come, it'll come back. Yeah. It'll be something that grows back to where it needs to be, uh, or it'll completely change and be completely different, That there will be an understanding. Yeah. I, I would say that, um, speaking of the, the money aspect of things, if you're, I don't, I can't imagine how long you would go to school and think that, um, you're not like fitting in well, but, um, if you feel like you're a paycheck to your instructor, you have no obligation to stay. I mean, if, yeah. if they haven't reached out and, and made, fr- you know, uh, friends with you or, or none of the team has, you feel like you're going, you're learning to just fine, but, but you're not part of the team. You're not uh, part of the group. Um, or they, you know, they, money is their biggest concern about, about jujitsu. It's, it's, it's a money thing. And if they get mad when you leave, it's because they lost a little bit of money. How, how long of a contract is ethical to ask somebody to sign, um, when signing up for a gym? I know you said you do a a two week trial and then are you expecting them to stay for a long time or, or how's that work? So there, there's, there's, uh, uh, I have, I have a lot of friends who are Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu business owners, and nobody agrees on this. There, there's so <laughs> many different. There, I, uh, one of my, one of my favorite Jiu-Jitsu guys is in Westchester, uh, Pennsylvania. Doesn't do contracts. Uh, he says it, it, 
uh, for him, it's just when you when you put a contract on somebody, it, it definitely tears away from the personality or the personal relationship and, and starts becoming a business relationship. And it makes people feel like they're in a box and blah, blah, blah. I mean, that, this is his his perspective. I value that. Um, I use contracts, uh, but I have ways out of all my contracts. So nobody's ever locked in. You know, they, there's always a way out. There's always an exit door. Um, I know people that do one and two year contracts and people do six months and one year and a year and a half contracts. Um, I, in my opinion, I think a year is about as long as anybody's contract should be because as a black belt, I can look back and I can say a lot happens in a year. Injuries happen in a year. Marriages happen in a year. Children are born within a year. Um, and somebody can look ahead three months and say, I'm good for these three months. And I know what's going to happen in these three months. And, and that's fine. Um, and so then they're three months into a year contract. And even if there's a subtle change or a small change, you know, they can, they can still push through to the end of that contract and then decide whether they want to re-up or whatnot. But I think a year is about the maximum that I think is ethical. And, and by ethical, I mean, if you were going to lock somebody into where they had to pay, even if they left, I think a year is fair. I mean, a business needs to be able to uh, uh, have accounts receivable so that they can build their business and so that they can provide more products and services that they may need to use credit for. Um, you know, mega gyms. Mega gyms pretty much have to have um, rock solid, airtight. You're paying no matter what or doing a collection style contract because, you know, if their rent is twenty seven thousand dollars a month or if they, you know, if they're putting in, you know, like big screen TVs for the lounge so the mothers are comfortable during kids class, you know, they need to be able to do those things and that may take credit, may require credit for them to be able to do that. Uh, they may need accounts receivable that are solid. And I, but I think a year is sufficient if you lock somebody in. I think two years is, is a stretch. I know, I know a great big gym that has over a thousand students across its programs. It has Muay Thai, boxing, jiu-jitsu, and CrossFit. It has more than a thousand students, and they do a two-year. Uh, two years is the one people do because it's the, the price point people will jump on. But, man, uh, in two years, <laughs> my life has changed so much. Yeah. And in two more years, my life's going to be significantly different than it is now. And me knowing that and then saying as a business person to a client, I don't care that you're going to have variables for the next two years. You are mine. Dun, dun, dun. And I just, I think that that, I don't, I think that's a little unethical, but uh, I, I think it's legal. And I think it's as long as the person consents to it, uh, then that's, then I don't see, I think the ethical negative part goes down a little bit. If, if the person is fully aware, fully acquiescing, uh, isn't painted into a box, but, says, yeah, dude, I know I'm going to do, I know, you know, Byron, I'm going to do jujitsu for the next 50 years. So what's two years to me? Maybe yeah. I should sign a two year contract someplace because I know I'm going to do jujitsu for two years. And I've heard that sales pitch be given, Hey, it's, it's 10 years to your black belt. So you're just giving me, you know, two of those years. Um, yeah. And that makes a certain amount of sense. And I understand that, but it just depends. I think I think the longer your contract, the more you need to have ways for the person to be able to to walk out. Yeah, that that makes sense. And it's uh, t- 
two years is a long time, especially if you are still exploring the sport and, and you haven't even, I mean, if you're in your first year, it's uh-huh. it, within your first month, it seems like people are kind of iffy. It's, it's, it's weird. And then around that two to three months, they love it. Everybody, uh-huh. but most of them quit. Most of them quit uh-huh. in, in, within that first year, and that's just the way it is. So if you've signed a two-year contract because you loved it, you know, uh, fairly soon, it's it's kind of tough. And maybe that would be a motivation to keep going to train. But um, uh-huh. and I don't, I don't know how this works out. But if if you and I are rolling and I'm signed up and I'm your student and uh, and I get hurt and I'm going to miss two months of solid training, I'm not I I'm not going to be able to get any amount of time. Am I still obligated to pay those two months, or can I maybe get two months free at the end of my contract? Or is there anything that that is done differently with that, or is it just I'm I'm a student and we keep yeah, going? no, no, no. There's there's um so a lot of it is a lot of that is contract language. It's what did you sign up with, and these are these are great questions. If any of your listeners are thinking about doing jujitsu or signing up at a school, they should be asking the salesperson for that school these questions, because that's a fantastic question. At my school, we, we will pause your account. So if okay. you're injured, um, I have a lot of soldiers or Marines, and so they deploy, you know, we pause their account. I don't take money while they're gone. Um, and as long as they're coming back, I pause their account. We don't call it a breach of contract. They don't have to buy out their contract. It's we pause it, they come back, we start it back up, and it starts up on the on the same month that they were on in that year, let's say it's a year contract, you know, they do two months. That means they got 10 months left. They're gone for two months. They come back. They still got 10 months left, but they start back up. Um, that's scary for me. And it's scary for my business partner because we often don't know exactly from month to month what our accounts receivable are because they're subject to change. That would drive a lot of people absolutely zooey. But for me, what it does is it shows my clients that, I understand you're a human. I understand you're paying for a service. There's something that's real that's keeping you from receiving the service. I'm willing to give you a, a benefit for that. But if it's just you're lazy and you're not coming to class, <laughs> I'm not going to – you can't come to me at the end of the month and say, hey, I didn't come this month. Can I have a refund? No. I showed up every night to teach class. You paid for me to show up every night to teach class. You just didn't come. There's a difference between that yes. and, hey, I had ACL surgery. I got to be off the mat for eight weeks. Um, can we can we do something about that? Yes, we can do something about that. That's an injury. That's not laziness. That's not, you know, that's not. For I'm, I'm talking about me. Other schools will have different policies, and they can explain what their policies are. But for me, I think that if you've got a bad injury that's keeping you from training, and you ask, can this be paused? Let's pause it. I mean, let's do that because you're going to come back. You're going to be happy that I, I that you are paying for a service you're getting. Uh, but if you're just going to be lazy or you're going to go out and get drunk, you're going to do stupid stuff, or you got a new girlfriend and she doesn't like the fact that you train, um, then <laughs> that's that's a that's an adult decision you've got to make. Yeah. But as a, as a business owner, my decision is you signed a contract to be coming in for me to drive to class, for me to show up and get on the mat. I expect you there. If you don't show up and it's because, you know, you got Susie Q and, you know, she wants to cuddle, that's, that's not on me. Yeah. It, so you get, you give a nice pause if they're going to deploy or get injured. No pause for uh girlfriend, especially first time girlfriends and uh, <laughs> keep training. Right. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, no, no love, no love for the love. Right? <laughs> Just so, if you're if you're on the mats on Valentine's Day, uh, that may be one day you might take off. And uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah. it's a good day to roll. You know, you see everybody yeah. who, who's single. Uh, so this kind of brings us to a uh, another topic that we've talked about, you know, on, like you said, uh, on Valentine's day, you can go in and train and you're there with all the other single people. Uh, but then, you know, that, that couple comes in the, the lovey doveys and, uh, that can pose, that can pose an interesting conundrum for school owners and for, you know, students, what should be thought of about dating on the mats. And I've had great luck and great failure watching this happen on my mats. Um, and so my opinion is, is that it's a very troublesome area in my gym. I always want the women to feel absolutely safe. And that may sound, that may kind of come off as a chauvinist sexist statement because, Oh, why is he so focused on women feeling safe? Well, it's grappling. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's faces in body parts and faces in area, uh, hands going in different places where, where men throughout history have been wrestling for a very, very long time. Women are relatively new to wrestling, um, and, and grappling. And so it's still an awkward situation for, for social mores for both men and women when they're when there's co-ed grappling going on to be in that kind of contact. Now, sometimes that wears away really fast and there's no concerns, no worries. Um, but some people are never comfortable grappling with the opposite sex. And some people are um, never, um, uh, you know, going to, you know, sort of have a, uh, feel safe, I guess. Yeah. And, and jujitsu won't necessarily be for that, that woman, um, but my goal in my gym has always been that the men view the ladies who are training as little sisters, even if they're an older woman, even if it's, uh, you know, not sister, sister-esque in any way, shape or form, but that's the mindset that we have. This is your little sister. You know, you're going to, yes, you're going to train hard with her. You're going to show her jujitsu. She's going to, I have women at my gym that can beat up dudes at my gym. So, uh, yeah, very easily. So, I mean, there, but at the same time, uh, you're, you're not that I, my guys know that you're not going to get like, um, a hurt ego about getting beat and then start being, you know, overly physical. Uh, there's a, there's an excellent blog out there and, a, and an article on this topic about rolling with rolling with people of the opposite sex, sex by the Guerreras. And, uh, the, uh, it's a really, really good blog. One of my students, uh, her name is Alex and, uh, she and her longtime boyfriend, now fiance, James Rooks, uh, were a success story of people who dated and were on my mats. Um, uh, so where, where, what do I think about this? I think that an instructor has to be very careful and uh, leaders within the school, maybe your purple, browns, and blacks, have to be very careful in passing a message that says our female students have to feel safe. And so, you know, it's part of my um, sign-up process that everybody goes through an eligibility sheet. One of the eligibility sheets is that we don't allow um, 
sexist comments to be made or, or uh, rude gestures or no, no like off-color jokes or anything like that. People would sign up and they agree to that. And then occasionally I have to sort of remind people of that. that uh, but the whole point of that is to keep uh, our female students feeling secure so that when they come in, they're coming in for jiu-jitsu. They're not coming in, you know, that, to feel somebody's mm-hmm. biceps. They're not, they're not coming in to, you know, um, you know, to, to look at the, the plumage of the peacock. Uh, they are, uh, <laughs> they're coming in a train and I want them to feel safe about that. Dating inside the gym yeah. is an auto, is an automatic, um, problem spot because now you have a relationship between two people that are there that has the potential of causing other people to either want that relationship or be afraid of that relationship. Uh, and it can be very, it can be, it can be very stressing, uh, and uncomfortable for some people. Uh, you know, I have a husband and wife that train with me now, the whole family, their kids train with me too. And when they're on the mat, it's like, they don't know each other. You know, they don't pick each other to be training partners. They don't spar together. Um, they don't kiss each other on the, and this, this isn't by design. I don't, I don't have to control them at all because I really don't think they are a potential problem. Same way with Alex and James. Um, you know, Alex and James, on the other hand, they will choose each other as training partners, but when they're there, it's always like they're the best training partner for each other. They're not, um, they're not romantic on the mats. Uh, I think when, if, if the couple can be mature and leave the romance for off the mats, you're going to find that there won't be a problem or the problem won't be as big. Uh, but when the romance is on the mat, when, you know, when, when the grappling turns into uh, a kissy face session, you know, that's when, you know, people, people start to get uncomfortable or maybe people become too comfortable and think, Ooh, uh, you know, I, I really like what they're doing over there. And here I am training with Betty, you know, maybe I can, you know, be a little sweet talking to Betty and Betty's only there to train jujitsu. She doesn't want to be in a relationship with you. I mean, so then she becomes uncomfortable and she leaves and that hurts my business and that hurts my, my, the, the fabric of my school because I want, uh, uh, I want women to train jujitsu and I want women who train jujitsu to be at my gym because that's how you prove jujitsu. Uh, you don't prove jujitsu by being me. Uh, I'm a, I'm a wrestler. I was a wrestler coming up. You know, it's almost like a, a it, it, me trying to sell jujitsu is like jujitsu trying to sell itself. I mean, you, you want, you, you want somebody who shouldn't be good at grappling to become good through jujitsu, that'll sell your jujitsu. You say, ah, oh, look, you know, uh, here's a, here's a, a, a petite person who's going to triangle the crap out of you or, or, or head and arm choke you. And, and that's jujitsu. And that sells way more than, you know, a knucklehead like me with cauliflower ears who <laughs> takes you down and smashes you. You're going to be like, Oh, that guy, yeah, he was, he's a wrestler. So he should be able to do that. Of course I want women at my school. Um, the other problem with dating on the mats is the breakup. Yeah. Uh, uh, so you get, you got, you got two clients, uh, and they break up. Now you've got one client and now you're pissed at the other client. <laughs> I mean, you're, you got one client yeah. and you're pissed at the one that stays because the other one left. <laughs> and so now there's, Ill, there's ill feelings and, yeah. and then there's all the so, sort of social awkwardness that if you had two clients, they probably created a peer group within the gym 
And you either, if they break up, you either lose them both or you lose one. Rarely, I, I never had a situation where they broke up and they both stayed. I actually had just the opposite. I had a breakup and the woman stayed at my gym. Uh, the man didn't. And the man was very bitter about the fact that I let her stay coming to my gym. And it wasn't that I let her stay coming to my gym. She was my client. She was my student. Yeah. She chose to stay. He couldn't come. He and I broke relationships on bad terms because of the, sort of his attitude about that. And, you know, and that's a really tough place to be. And then it becomes awkward for your other students because they're like, oh, she came back and he's gone. I like him better than her. And now there's awkwardness between those people. And we're, we're as I talked about earlier, where I want my gym to be the funnest two hours of your day uh, and of your life, it's now becoming this awkward thing. How excited are you to come back to class? <laughs> so I really try to I really try to control the dating situation to keep it at a minimum. I definitely, you know, if people come in with pre-existing love interests, I can't. There's nothing I can do to control that. Yeah. But I can really sort of keep the culture that um, we take care of our women like there are our younger sisters. And I know that comes up. Man, that sounds so sexist and chauvinist. But the point isn't sexism and chauvinism. The point is granting equal fair access for women in a non-sexualized way. That's my feminist attempt uh, and probably epically failing and making some, some women unhappy with the way I worded that. Well, it's, it's the fact of the matter. You take it the other way and some of the, a big compliment you could get from, from a woman on the mat is that it feels like an older brother. And that's uh-huh. like the same thing, but from a different perspective. So sure. uh, I don't know if, if you're upsetting people or not, but I, I mean, it, th- that's a big compliment, um, I would think, to, to somebody who's trying to be um, uh, a supportive teammate uh, to a woman. Exactly. What would you say to, to, the, to the student? And we uh, maybe, hopefully you haven't had these guys, but we, we've all seen this guy. We've had this guy as a friend or, or, or just known somebody in school back in the day, but a new woman comes to school and you know he's going to ask her out like that guy. How, how do you uh, <laughs> try to help him avoid that situation? And, and do you put, do you tell him what to do or do you, um, do you let him make a fool of himself and, and put her in that weird situation or? Well, I've never had that situation come up, but I've had a friend who was an instructor who had a, uh, a standard way of dealing with that guy and yeah. those relationships is when he saw two people begin dating or, or begin becoming attracted to one another. He would, he would pull them both in the office and he would say, I am not, uh, I'm not interested in getting into your relationship, but if your relationship starts to affect my business, I'm going to have a say about it. So here's an agreement. You guys, uh, uh, must agree with me that if you begin dating and you break up and one person leaves, the other person's going to pay their tuition for a year. Wow. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's you talk about that counts receivable and being able to understand and, you know, uh, imagine that factoring into a, uh, you know, an argument situation at some point. Oh man, if we break up, I've got to pay and she doesn't go back to the gym. I got to pay her, her tuition for a year. I think if I had a guy who, you know, uh, for lack of a better term, term is a, uh, a horn dog. And, you know, I, I see him sort of salivating at the new girl that's walking in. I won't have any qualms about, uh, pulling that guy aside and saying, 
you wouldn't drool over your little sister like that. So yeah. let's uh, let's keep it keep it respectful. If something if something happens, we'll we'll work with that later. But uh, you, I can I can tell you're amped up and keyed in right now, and that ain't gonna happen. Yeah. I, and just some personal advice to the guys out there: If you're going to jujitsu to meet women, you're you're doing the wrong thing. Like Absolutely. the numbers are not there for you. Uh, <laughs> there's there's easier yeah. places to meet women and and, uh, <laughs> and and treat them like like a friend or like like a little sister and and be there as, as a good teammate. Exactly, you're exactly right. Uh, speaking of uh, teammates and, and and building that. Uh, sense of camaraderie among each, amongst each other. It seems like a lot of times you'll see on Facebook or um, you, you'll hear people talk about uh, my team is going to war or I'm going to go to war. I'm going to go and and, and compete and, and, and represent and, and go to war. Uh, what does that mean okay. to you and, and, and what do you feel about that? Well, uh, I'm, I'm in a special location. I'm in Oceanside, California, which is right next to Camp Pendleton. And uh, I have the distinct honor of being a jiu-jitsu instructor for many men and women who are United States Marines, uh, a couple who are Army soldiers. I have, I've, I've had uh, um, some Navy personnel in there, sailors in there as well. And many of them have actually been to war. And I'm not talking about a, a, a hard-fought mat battle. I'm talking about getting blown up by IEDs, uh, getting shot in the streets of Fallujah. Um, and I will not cheapen their experience um, by saying that I'm going to war. Um, and uh, I got in a pretty interesting discussion with one of my former students in Indiana um, who's an MMA fighter. And, you know, he always posts, you know, uh, he'll like, it's like a, a, like a, a chant. He'll say like, you know, war Mark, uh, go, going in, going up, going to fight this weekend war, you know, whatever. And, uh, you know, this came up as, uh, you know, a point of point of discussion. And I said, that's just, it's not war. And he said, it's semantics, you know, it's semantics. And I'm a, I'm a lawyer. So I'm, I'm versed on semantics. Um, and, and he's partially correct that it is semantics for yeah. me to say that it's not right for, for them to use war. But what's not incorrect is that I find it to be something that uh, is just, it's inaccurate. Uh, we're not going to war. We're going, uh, we're going in, we're going to match or we're going to grapple or we're going to wrestle or we're going to go train. Um, or we're going to go fight. You know, some people don't even like to use the word fight when they say a jujitsu. Uh, how many fights have you had? Well, you know, that, that term come, that argument gets brought up a lot. Uh, if you've been in a jujitsu match, have you been in a fight? Uh, I think you've been way closer to being in a fight in a jujitsu match than you have been in a war. So I think I ask people who are using the term going to war, I just ask them before they use that, that they really think about those who are reading those words or hearing those words who have been to war and ask how they're, they're saying that really affects those people. Maybe it doesn't affect them at all, but, you know, um, uh, since uh, this is a big change for me, 
since moving to Oceanside and since having such intimate contact with fine men and women who have um, literally been blown up, literally been shot, uh, who are highly decorated, or who haven't yet been deployed for combat yet, but are but are choosing this as their path, knowing that they will likely go to war. Um, I just I can't say it like that. I can't say, uh, you know, it's uh, you know, um, it's 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 colloquial to say, um, you know, Will and I had a battle last night on the map. You know, uh, that that almost passes. Yeah. You know, it's almost okay. You know, but to say, you know, Will and I went, to, I went to war with Will. Not, no, you didn't. No, you didn't. Or, or we're going, we're going up to, you know, the uh, the Walter Pyramid for the World Championships. We're gonna, we're gonna wage war. We're gonna do, we're going to war. No, not really. You're gonna go up to a place that has an acai counter and, uh, you know, a <laughs> bunch of clothing vendors and, you know, ice packs for if you tweak your elbow in a match, you're gonna get a. You know, uh, an EMT immediately putting an ice pack on you. That's, that's far different than, you know, uh, one of my really good buddies right now who got shot in Fallujah and had to, you know, basically crawl his way to safety, you know, uh, and, 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 and it took a long time. And I'm sure his mortality was always present in his thinking at that time. You know, he, was he going to live? That's war. You know, um, whether or not you have to tap or whether or not your, your D sleeves are going to meet the, the wooden, the wooden, uh, sleeve check. That's not war. That's playing a martial art. That's playing a game. That's engaging in a hobby that you love that brings you all sorts of glee and joy, uh, being shot at, being ambushed or shooting somebody or having to kill somebody, uh, or blowing, being blown up or having to do the blowing up, uh, and even for the guys that aren't like combat vets, I mean, and by combat vets, I mean like grunts, you know, the guys that are supply chains for people, they go, they go months and months and months with humongous restrictions. Like they can't leave. They can't do this. They can't watch TV. They can't communicate, but for certain hours of the day with people that they love, you know, that's still war. And that's far different than engaging in a tournament. And I just think it, you know, I've had, Veterans tell me that hearing people say, especially around the MMA scene, that uh, they're going to war, that that irritates and bothers them. Um, uh, And, you know, so in honor of them and to show them respect, I don't do it. And I sure ask people that know me and uh, think highly of me in any way, shape or form that I ask them not to do it, too, because... Man, it's a, it, we've, we've got some special men and women uh, in our martial art, uh, but even bigger than that, beyond our martial art, that have actually gone to war so that we can have the freedom and ability to, you know, go go put two inches of cloth around our waist and wrestle and get functified and, you know, maybe go to a school where there's a gauntlet where we can whip each other with our belts and, you know, you know, it's it's. Uh, uh, somebody can call us a traitor for shopping at a different business. You know, you can look at all of these different things we've been talking about, and um, uh, much of that is is due to the freedom that we have. Uh, whether you're in the UK or in the United States or in Australia, 
uh, or in Europe and anywhere, you know, much of the freedoms we feel in these parts of the world are because people are willing to volunteer um, to actually go to war for our safety throughout history. I mean, whether or not you, you feel we should be or shouldn't be at war in any given part of the world right now, you look at historically, um, our freedoms came because of war um, uh, in many senses. And yeah. I just don't want to cheapen that by uh, drawing an ana- a really strained analogy between a hard competition and, you know, a fight for one's life. Yeah. I, I, I don't think most people that say that, you know, they'll say their team name and then war or they'll say, mm-hmm. you know, I'm going to war. I don't think they do it. And think that they're being disrespectful. I don't think they think about it. I think that no, it's part don't. of their team and their culture, and they just—that's what they do. So, well, I mean, that, and, and that was the argument of my—that was the argument of my former student—is that it's it's semantics, it's colloquial, it's 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 a phrase that um, has been used to the point where the meaning is sufficient. Um, that actually going and competing at uh, masters and seniors worlds can be considered going to war because the phrase has been used enough that it's adopted. And, and then, uh, but if we accept that notion, then it's our veterans who are irrationally hurt by those phrases. But then, but I, but I can't, I can't agree with that calculation. Um, I just, I can't because they, they're somebody who can't be irrationally hurt by that. I mean, I think, uh, uh, I just think it's disrespectful. It's it's not like it, it's not they're not fighting words for me. It's not like if I hear somebody say <laughs> that, you know, I'm I'm gonna like punch somebody in the mouth. It's not. It's I don't take it to that level. I just try not to do it myself, and I ask other people to be considerate of it. Uh, consider really what you're saying and think of be more articulate. I mean, use better words, you know, yeah. we're going to go test our metal. We're going to go, you know, we're going to put it on the line. We're going to go, you know, be, be more, you know, savvy with your word choice yeah. than something that, that might just sort of diminish the value of what really happens in, in the world. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And, and so, what, are, what are the consequences? Uh, like you're saying, you might get tapped out. What are, what are the consequences of doing a jiu-jitsu tournament at, at its most? It's it's insignificant to the consequences to to actually being in a war. And uh, and and what are you fighting? You know, is your team like your country? Like, what are you fighting for? You know, it, it doesn't. Do you know what jiu-jitsu? If you didn't, if you didn't know this guy was was across the map from you, if you met him off the at a, at a gym, you'd be buddies. <laughs> There's no doubt exactly. about that. It's yeah. Well, and if you're doing it right, you will be buddies. Yeah, that's I mean, true. that's, uh, you know, and I, uh, you know, that's the other thing that I, I really preach to my students, uh, is that when you go to a tournament, especially as a white belt or a blue belt, and you're going to be a competitor, let's say you want to be somebody that gets, you know, five, six, eight competitions in a year, you need to befriend the people that you're grappling with and against, because you're going to see them again and again and again and again and again. And, I'm great friends, or I'm good friends, or I'm at least acquaintances to many of the people that I rivaled when I was coming up. You know, I, there there are people that uh, that I'm very very close to, and then there are people there are other people that I'm on very good speaking terms with, even though we had, you know, some hard fought matches. 
Um, there's a guy named Kyle Watson who was a UFC guy, but he's in, I think, St. Louis. You know, he and I wrestled each other a bunch of times. We went back. Uh, he, he got the best of me quite a few times, and I think I may have gotten him a, once or twice, but I think I know once for sure. But we we saw each other so much that we were friendly. You know, neither of us had our egos so invested that we didn't like each other. You know, there's um, a great bass player uh, who's also uh, a black belt named Aaron Krecky up in Northwest Indiana. And, you know, he and I grappled as purple and brown belts. We, we haven't competed against each other as black belts, but as purple and brown belts, we matched up against one another. And it was always super, super cool and friendly. Did we try to kill each other when we were on the mats? Of course. I mean, we were always going after each other, and, but you know, we were athletes in sports about it, you know, and um, it shouldn't, it shouldn't be any other way. And that's, I, I, I get a kick and sometimes I get frustrated by, I get a kick out of it. And sometimes I get frustrated by going to tournaments and watching guys warm up, especially white and blue belts warm up uh, before their matches. And a lot of them will have their hoodies on and their headphones on yeah. and they're jumping around and, you know, they're pumping themselves up and smacking their legs really hard and growling and gritting their teeth and getting themselves completely psyched up. They go out on the mat and they, they have a great match, an aggressive match, and they'll hug the guy right after the end and then they'll walk off the mat and they'll either throw their D in the, in the stand that they lost or they'll put their hoodie back on, pump their music and bounce around a little bit. And I just think, this is this is so such an interesting thing about technology. This guy's completely disconnected from what the value is of this whole thing. Yeah, you know that he has an opportunity to whether he won or lost to to sort of debrief with his opponent and say, "Man, that grip you used that was different. Nobody uses that at my school. Show me how you do that." The guy shows him how to do a grip. Guess what? Five years from now. I bet the guy will be using a grip like this guy, you know? Yep. And, um, you know, Kyle Watson taught me um, um, a, a triangle trick that I still use. He caught me in a triangle when we were blue belts. Um, and a little angle adjustment he made. And I asked him afterwards, I was like, man, I got tighter than any triangle I'm used to getting into. I'm, and he showed me, and I still use it to this day. You know, uh, there's there's so much to be learned and so much about relationships to be had. And um, that's what a competition experience can really be about. Uh, and, and I think if you go into it with that mindset, it's hard to say you're going to war. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You're going, you're going to have this experience, and, and it's not just the five, ten minutes on the mat. You might make a friend out of it. But if you're thinking about war the whole time, you're not making any friends. Even if they approach you to, to talk to you about your match, you're not going to be their friend. You just went to war with this person right. in your mind, and that's that's no, that's not <laughs> that's not good for you. Exactly. All right, that was part one of the taboo episode with Tim Sled. We've got uh, part two, obviously coming up next week. Here, uh, a lot of uh, more topics coming up, and controversy taboos are always interesting. And and I don't know how you guys feel about these topics, but uh, it's. Interesting to get get his opinions out there, and and I, you know, it's kind of controversial. I don't know how much, but I wash my belt. I want it to be clean, and uh, I hang dry it, and I don't feel that it's wearing out really fast, and I don't feel I've lost knowledge from washing my belt. I haven't washed any of the knowledge out, and uh, I, I just value cleanliness. I'm not real superstitious as far as like my knowledge is in the belt. I don't think anybody actually believes that, but people say that, so uh, I, you know, I, I keep mine clean. Yeah, I mean. We've talked about how to 
get better at jiu-jitsu, and one of the big things is making sure you stay on the mat. Um, the more time you train, the better. And with a dirty belt, sometimes you may uh, uh, give somebody a ringworm, a batigo. Um, he's not going to be able to be on the mat. So uh, I'm kind of with you. I have nothing against belt washing. But I totally understand the people who do, though, also. Yeah. It's kind of like not washing a certain percentage of your gi. I mean, you should wash your entire gi, and part of that is you're going to be your belt. Another one um, is the belt whipping. Gary, I've I, usually – belt whipping. Yeah, me, me too. Uh, so here's – we go back to that quote, be the change you want to see in the world. I've been at a gym where they were belt whipping people, and I just did it softly <laughs> opposed to just not doing it at all. And uh, looking back, I probably would just would have not done it. Um, you know, now I, I would I would be that change. I would say I would either you know sit in the corner and watch, or go to the restroom, or if it's the you know I, I don't want to like miss out on them getting their belts, but I don't want to whip them with my belt either. Yeah. So uh, I I have done it before where I've uh, whipped softly or not even whipped as they come by, but I have my last time. I mean, it wasn't necessarily a belt promotion, but it was a birthday where, you know, everybody lined up. And, and you know, at that point, I sat out. I was even told to get in line, and, and I still sat out. I, I said I do not agree with it, and uh, I'm not going to participate in it. And when it's my birthday, I, I don't want anybody whipping me. Yeah, and it goes to another thing that, uh, Gary, you've got a son who's wrestling, and there'll be a day when he's on the mat doing jiu-jitsu, I, I would think. And do you want to see your your son getting whipped for his birthday or for when he gets his yellow belt or whatever? Like, I think that'd be hard to watch my son getting whipped. It, w- it would be like a turning point. Like, are we going to keep going to this place? Like, it, you know what I mean? Like having you know thirty strangers whip your son. Like that seems ridiculous. <laughs> like I don't yeah. know. So, uh, but I mean, it's something that maybe instructors should think about when you're having your belt whipping ceremony. That sounds weird, belt whipping ceremony. Whatever I don't know what it's called, but is that something that you want to put parents in the spot of seeing their children whipped? And it does it. I mean, we already have, kind of have the image that we're just sweaty people rolling around trying to choke each other. No, there's a lot more going on jutsu than that, and uh, the belt whipping is kind of barbaric and and uh, something that, uh, that I'm I'm ready to to not participate in. And and I think over the course of you know ten, twenty, thirty, I don't know how many generations of or years or generations of instructors, eventually it'll get phased out. You know, it doesn't really uh, add to the sport. It seems like it is phasing out a little bit more. I've seen uh, more people posting against it um, as time goes on. And and in my opinion, I, I do hope it, you know, totally phases out. But, I mean, but we say this, and if you are at a gym that belt whips and you, it's a culture, part of your um, experience of jiu-jitsu and you like it, Keep training. Who cares? Like, yeah, nothing I should say my, should, yeah. Just because Byron and I and Tim say one thing, we don't have to agree with everything. Yeah. So just keep, uh, keep training. And that's the most important thing. If, if you, if you are loving training, don't stop. Do whatever, do whatever makes you happy. Yep. There we go. That's good advice, Gary. Good advice. We, we look forward to hearing from you guys, uh, about this episode on, uh, social media. You can go to our Facebook page and, and find the show and comment in there. Uh, our website has a place for comments. Uh, very few people know about this, but you can comment there and we'd love to hear that. And, uh, or any other place you find the show, like on Reddit or anywhere. Um, we'd like to see what you guys have to say about these topics and see where kind of the community stands. And, and I know anybody who, um, anybody who listens to the show kind of, um, is different than like, it's a sub part of the community, you know, like obviously we have been making you mad every episode or you wouldn't listen. 
Um, so it's a little different than the entire jujitsu community, but I'd like to know how you guys feel about this and see. And if we've upset you at all, whatever, um, hopefully we'll catch you next week and <laughs> maybe do it again. But, uh, but, uh, we'd like to hear from you and you could also, uh, email us or email brick at gmail.com. There you go. Or another way to contact us, Gary would be on Facebook. Just send us a message on Facebook. Yep. On our, on our, uh, fan page there. And, uh, Gary and I have a hundred percent response rate. For the Facebook fan page, it's amazing. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, and we also, uh, besides you posting your your comments on this week's uh, taboos, um, we also like to know how we're doing. So uh, definitely check us out on iTunes and uh, go in there and give us a review. And uh, if you want to get a gee patch, make it a funny review. We like funny reviews. Uh, but send us an email either at the bjjbrick at gmail.com or send us a message on our facebook fan page that way we know it was you and if you live in the united states we'll send you out a bjj brick gee patch it's a small round gee patch um with our logo on it we'll send it out to you absolutely free just for taking the time to let us know how we're doing yeah we really appreciate that and uh, it's a uh we got a few don't for, left. Yeah, and don't forget to send us the email so we know who you are. Um, we have had people give us a review, but we've never been able to find out who it is. So definitely bjjbrick at gmail.com or go to our fan page and send us a message and say, hey, that was me. Yeah. If the, patch, like my patch. if the patch is important to you, you got to get a hold of us and let us know it was you. If you just want to give us a review, we appreciate that too. I mean, yep. uh, another thing that we really like is if you tell a friend about the show, this is a, this is a huge way that, uh, uh, that, that the word of our podcast and probably this show will get around. You know, social media is great, but if you, we're just sitting there on the mat with somebody, you say, Hey, have you heard listening to this podcast? Um, check out this episode or go to this website. Uh, BJJBrick.com is a good website to check it out at. Um, that really means a lot to us. Um, we've gotten a lot of emails saying that, you know, a friend told me about this and, and I've enjoyed the show. And that means a lot to us that A, a new person found the show and B, somebody liked the show enough to tell somebody else about it. You know, you kind of put yourself on the line like, Hey, I listen to this. Check it out. Cause sometimes when you recommend a movie or whatever, it, you know, they, oh, it was okay. But you know, if you, if you recommend us to a friend, we really appreciate you uh, sticking your neck out there a little bit for us and, uh, Helping it's never good to there. stick your neck out in jujitsu. That's true. Except when you're uh, letting your friend know about a podcast. But hey, when you seriously, when you do let it, let your friends know about uh, the podcast and tell them to watch it. For us, that's almost like a belt promotion or a stripe on our belt. It's uh, it's uh, one of the most uh, satisfying or rewarding things uh, we could get. Uh, somebody likes us so much that they tell a friend about us. So we appreciate all that. Absolutely, it means a lot to us. Gary, uh, we've mentioned the audiobook that I made a while back. I'm actually working on another audiobook, but we all know that you are working on the on the audiobook, and it's been top secret. But today we're going to release. The thing is, I'm the only one who never knows about these audiobooks. <laughs> That's true. You often don't know the title or the topic of your audiobook. But this week, Gary, his audiobook is called "The Time I Sewed a Gee Patch Over My Eye and How It Saved the Day," and I don't know um, really which why you did this, Gary. And, and even which gi pass you use to do this, but uh, it seems like a like an odd thing to do. I, I remember you talk about sewing gi patches on your body, but uh, tell me a little bit about why somebody would or why you actually sewed a gi patch over your eye. Ah, maybe. <laughs> what it really was was um, uh, I came to roll. I was getting ready to uh, train on uh, the ever popular day that we have here in the United States, the Talk Like a Pirate Day. And uh, I wanted to get into the character. Yeah, May 33rd. So, 
Yeah, yeah, May 33rd is Talk Like a Pirate Day, matey. So I took a BJJ Brick Gee Patch and sewed it over my eye. And, I mean, I didn't sew it into my eye. The nice thing is all the tissue around my eye, you know, it's fleshy tissue. It's easy to stitch up. <laughs> it's easy to pull the stitches out. So it's not like I hurt myself or anything. But um, I did sew it over my eye for three or four days. And... Uh, just to see what it'd be like and uh, I did get a lot of compliments uh, mostly negative but I did you know have a good time so that's what counts but I would recommend not to sew an eye patch sew a gee patch over your eye and turn it into an eye patch for May 33rd talk like a pirate day yeah that's I mean uh, that day was spectacular Gary you got more Facebook likes than I think I've ever seen you get um, you know for your eye patch pirate costume yeah yeah it was amazing. Did you had uh, our buddy Craig sew it onto your face for you? He's great with Well, yeah, I had Craig sew it onto my face. And, and what I tried to do when I drew, when I rolled that day is I basically, you know, went leg hunting. You know, knee bars, leg locks, because, uh, you know, I always thought of a lot of pirates had wooden legs. So I figured I would uh, put some people on crutches that day, too. So, <laughs> yeah, I really go all out when it's a theme, theme party. That's true. That's good. You, you know, I'm always, when it's a theme party... I'm always a little bit nervous, you know, like, am I going to be the only guy there in the 70s style shorty shorts like I was last time, you know, because I, I have these friends that will tell me it's a theme party and it's really not a theme party. <laughs> it's terrible, Gary. We did that at work the other day and uh, we had a kind of a theme training party where we weren't at work, it was a day off, but we had training and you were supposed to dress as a superhero so like four of us got together and said we were going to dress as Power Rangers and told the fifth guy that he was going to be the pink Power Ranger or we could he could pick any color he wanted and we were all going to dress like that. And But we really weren't. <laughs> we were just getting him to dress like that. And the bad thing was he didn't dress like that. Oh. We got, but uh, he, he reverse pulled the trick on us. Double guard pull, Gary. Yep, double guard pull. He pulled guard on your guard. Yep. Man, well, you know, if you would have came dressed up, you could have been really disappointed at him and ruining the uh, party. Yeah, yep, yeah, we could have, hey, we could have turned it back on him, triple guard pull. Made him feel like a jerk. That's when the referee sits down right next to you and uh, does his officiating from his guard. Yep, but hey, if you ever want to train with us, and I'd recommend not training with us on March 33rd, (laughs) talk like a pirate day, if you ever get in uh, Wichita, Kansas, uh, send us a line, uh, send us a message, and uh, we'd love to train with you. Absolutely. It's always an honor to to roll with somebody who listens to the show. Um, It's good. We have more fun than they typically do, I guess. I don't know. It's just fun to to get to know the listeners out there a little bit uh, in life or online. Yep, and we'll even let you, you know, film. When you uh, put us to sleep, and you can post that on the website. Yep, but you can, I mean, by the time you actually find it, if you type in Byron or Gary getting choked unconscious, there's so many videos that will pop up before you find the one that you're in. Um, yeah, that's kind of like a yeah. Watch. There's numerous ones. Yep. So. so you know what? I, what the better way to have your video show up earlier is to let us win, and then as you <laughs> type in Gary wins. I mean, because there's only going to be one pops up, and that's if you put it in there. Nice. So yeah, that that's that's uh, happen. there you go. That'll get you higher view counts, and that's the most important thing, right, Gary? That's the most important thing. <laughs> well, besides tuning in to next week's show for part two of uh, Tim Sled talking about taboos and jujitsu. Yeah, and and family is also the most important thing. Yeah, family and, and jujitsu. Yeah, that's right, man. Everything's important. Yep, and dogs. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, we will catch you next week, my friends. We've got uh, packed full, an episode packed full of taboos again. So as always, stay sweaty, my friends. And don't forget to shower. Thank you for listening. I hope you find the time today to roll. After all, the best way to get better at Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is to do Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Welcome back, my friends, to episode 118 of the BJJ Brick Podcast. I'm Gary. I'm here with my buddy Gary. Did I say I'm Gary? You, man, that's kind of the coolest, I guess, uh, uh, compliment I've ever got is Byron now tries to become me. Oh, that's, man. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Oh. I remember when uh, a couple couple weeks ago you asked if you could get a uh, – basketball jersey with my name on the back but now i know why man thanks byron that's yeah. an awesome compliment uh, well uh, you're welcome byron and uh well i guess i'll try this again and we'll put this in the uh in the blooper reel in the outtakes <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, one game i, I want to mention that uh, we played some uh, <laughs> Dying here. Get some water, Gary. I've been trying to drink water for like the last two minutes. <laughs> We're going to have a lot of bloopers this episode. Okay, I'm good. You all right? Do I need to call that one for you? Nope. nope. <laughs> so on Valentine's Day, you show up and, and, uh, and you're there with all those singles. And, you know, a lot of times I'm, I've made about half the Valentine's Day I think that I've trained, but, um, you know, there's not a lot of, uh, man, I'm, I'm butchering this. Let me try that again. So I'm trying to splice this in with what we were just saying. So on Valentine's Here, I, Day, I can, I can try. Okay, sure. Go ahead.